Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. This episode, we're going to switch it up a little. Previous episodes, we've usually heard from an expert about their thoughts on the market, where they see value and opportunities, and where they see risks, and taking this all into account, how they're positioning an investment portfolio. Well, this episode, we're going to be zooming in on a growing Australian company in a relatively new industry to hear their fascinating story as they've gone from one store in Australia to well over 100 in just over 10 years. I'm talking about Silk Laser Clinics, an Australian business that does laser hair removals and injectables that's now publicly listed on the ASX. Whether you already know a bit about this growing company and industry or you know very little, I think you're gonna enjoy this episode as the Silk Laser story is fascinating and I'm sure there's many more exciting chapters to come. We're lucky to be joined by Martin Perelman, the co-founder and CEO of Silk Laser. Martin, welcome to the Invest at Best podcast. Thanks, Ted. Uh, thanks for having me, Sam. Looking forward to chatting. Martin, I've already dropped a few pebbles on the Silk Laser story, but before we go further down that path, I'm just curious to take a moment and discuss your story and your unique background before Silk Laser. Because in my research, I found that, uh, yeah, you've, you've got a unique background, a scholarship to play golf in Florida, transitioned into the watch industry to sell what uh, Swiss watches. So can you provide us a, a bit of background on that period of your life? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I suppose when I, when I finished high school in 1995 in Adelaide, um, probably like every young kid, I was falling in love with different sports and um, golf was sort of my sport that I gravitated to and was probably my best skill set. Um, I made junior state teams and then moved into senior state teams. And as I was sort of being successful, there was an opportunity for myself to move into a, a scholarship to go to play college golf in the US um, in Florida. Um, I was just turning 18 and saw that opportunity and was very excited by it. So took that opportunity through, you know, chatting with dad and away we went. Um, and in those days, you know, I had one sort of passion, which was to be a professional golfer. And that was the best opportunity to do that. Um, I spent four years there and loved every minute of it. And sort of by the end of 2000, I sort of reached a sort of a crossroads where I would either A, stay in the US and go into mini tours and try and make my way up or sort of finish up and come back to Australia. I, I ended up deciding the latter and sort of I was a bit of a lost soul when I came back to Australia at that stage. And as an interim measure, I just started working in dad's home uh, family jewelry store. Um, we always had jewelry stores when I was a kid. And sort of did that for a year. And then from there, I made a move to Sydney and took my first proper career role, which was a, a rep on the road selling watches. And, and um, I was worked in the Swiss watch industry for a brand called Bomb and Mercier. And then from there, over the next eight to 10 years, I moved from brand to brand as I sort of moved up the corporate ladder and 
you know, as national sales manager for Omega and some other nice luxury Swiss watches. And that was sort of my career in Sydney. And it was, it was during that sort of time in the back end of that where I eventually made my next move, which was sort of moving into my first business, which is where Silk sort of started. Okay. And can you tell us a bit about how you transitioned to this? Because it's, it's quite a fascinating story as to um, how the idea came about. Yeah, look, I sort of fell into it, if I'm really honest. Um, you know, if we go back to sort of 2009, um, I was uh, still working in the Swiss watch industry. I'm really enjoying my time there. I was around 30 years of age. And um, I was living with a couple of um, friends in Paddington in Sydney. And my roommate at the time was in between roles and had taken a role up while looking for another job in his career, um, servicing and repairing uh, lasers in Sydney, cosmetic lasers. So he was working for a company that was importing uh, secondhand lasers and selling them to the market and then repairing them. And he was working in that um, market. Um, He wrote a small business plan to open up a couple of laser hair removal clinics. So very specific to laser hair removal. That was when sort of the birth of laser hair removal was growing. And I think in those days he wrote a three-year business plan to, you know, open three small clinics in Adelaide and, you know, our first both foray into business. So I was 30, single, thought, yep, let's do it. Um, We brought in the lasers from uh, the US. I think we repaired them in our garage. Martin, let me just pause there. How much did you put in? Uh, There were four of us. Um, we each put in 50,000. So I did rule 101. I didn't have 50,000. So I had to borrow some cash and put my savings in and borrow probably 20 or 30 from the bank. And um, we all put in $50,000 each. That was our total budget for shop fit, lasers, the whole lot, kit and caboodle. So your, your mate, your housemate, he must have impressed you with this business plan. Yeah, look, it was, um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a pretty basic business plan, but it was a good business plan. And you know, I think it was more the timing was right for me to try something. And I thought to myself, you know, if it all goes belly up, you know, I'm 30 years of age, still got a good job, and we just thought we'd have a go at something. So, uh, you know, we did it on a shoestring budget, but, um, you know, the rest is sort of history, I suppose. Yeah. Now, I interrupted there. So That's okay. uh, I, I think we're, you're starting to open up the first store. If you, if yeah. You can. So, you know, I remember, I remember it vividly, actually. Um, Two things that sort of jump out to me when uh, Chris, uh, who was my roommate and business partner, bought our two lasers from the US, secondhand lasers, got them shipped in and they arrived in crates into our garage in Paddington and we repaired them there. Um, and then um, we rented a premise on King William Road in Adelaide. My sister, who is a designer, designed the store for us. My best friend from high school was a designer and he did our website and our logo. Um, again, all very budget conscious items. And, um, and then one of our business partners, Matt, um, he was sort of our tradie uh, business partner, his skill set, and he built the store from my sister's design. And that was really it. We advertised, we got one technician, two girls, Kate and Teresa, I remember, the, remember them well. And um, away we started doing purely laser hair removal with some basic skincare, and that's how we started. Okay, well, tell us, how, how did the early days go, the, the first <laughs> few weeks, the first few months? Yeah, it's a really, um, look, it was, it was good. I mean, Chris had the foresight in those days to set everything up to be cloud-based. And, and I know the word cloud-based is always a very easy thing to say now, but, you know, we're talking 12 years ago, having everything to be cloud-based wasn't necessarily um, that simple. And so he made sure that everything was at the front to be cloud-based so we could sort of run it remotely. Um, 
I still remember to this day, um, I think our third week or fourth week, we did more than $10,000 for a week in sales. And um, we all thought we were as rich as everything where 10 grand in a week was so much money. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, a very surreal time. Um, and sort of the business sort of grew and grew and grew. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting, but, you know, we'll, we were really learning. We were very novice in those days, Ted. You know, we had no bookkeepers. We were sort of working as we go. We did understand about Bass and PL. So we had to sort of find a basic accountant, hire a bookkeeper from the Yellow Pages, and she worked for us for about seven years. Um, and, and you were doing this as a side hustle. Side hustle. You're, you're still in Sydney and the, the stores in Adelaide. Yep. Well, you must yep. have been doing it well. When did you open the second store? Second store was Norwood. So we opened the first one in Hyde Park in October 2009. Second one we opened in April of 2011. So about 18 months later. And then we sort of did our third um, in Elizabeth or the city, I can't remember, in 2012. So sort of we're doing roughly one a year. That makes sense. So I would um, work my job, obviously, eight to five or whatever it is. And then I'd come home and then I would work at night on the business. And I, re- I met, I remember this as well. I met my, um, my wife now um, when we had, we were just opening our second clinic. And so, so she'd come over and we'd sit on the couch and watch Sally and I'd be working away on the computer and she'd be watching Sally and she'd, you know, it's still an ongoing joke. She'd say, you know, it's such a great little hobby you've got there with this whole silk thing. It's so fantastic, this little hobby. I really, um, I really like what you do as this little bit of a side thing. Um, no, no way do we ever think we'd be where we are now and the size of the business. I mean, it's all beyond people's wildest dreams. Yeah, and we, we will get to where you are right now, but there's a, there's a bit more that I want to um, chat about. And that's not long after you opened, but you started to diversify and offer further services, injectables, skincare treatments, skin products. And, and whilst we might look back, it seems like an obvious connection, but in 2010, that, you know, that comes with risk. Famous yeah. investor Peter Lynch often speaks about businesses that diversify into um, new areas. I think he, he often calls them diversifications. So, Martin, what gave you confidence to do this rollout of new services back then? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, we started, as you know, to be purely laser hair removal, and that was our game plan. And, you know, at the same time, the birth of the laser hair removal clinics were sort of happening everywhere. And, we sort of quickly realized that if we wanted to continue to grow our top line revenue at a store level, we needed to potentially diversify, but we had to be very careful on that because, you know, you want to be specialist in what you do and not be mediocre in everything. That's the, you know, rule 101 of what can happen. But we knew that, you know, I mean, laser hair removal across Australia was exploding and was going very, very well. But at the same time, there were price pressures coming from that market. And we knew that if we wanted that top line rev to, to grow, we had to sort of continue to morph and change. And so we always, always sort of knew that long term, we would probably turn from being a laser hair removal clinic to being a cosmetic clinic that offered all services and laser hair removal, you know, up until only probably three years ago, was still our number one revenue part of our business. But you know, if you think about laser hair removal is there's sort of a finite life cycle for a client. Once they've had that course of treatment, they either move to another body part or they sort of finish up their treatment. So we knew that we wanted to move into sort of more repeatable revenue, which is, you know, things like injectables, things like skin treatments, where you come in every four to six months and you're having a treatment over and again, you know, Botox lasts four to six months and it wears off. 
So we knew that would be our longer term sustainable success, but pivoting from being a hair removal clinic to those, you know, had its challenges um, because you don't want to lose sight of what you're doing historically and still be successful and hopefully have those other categories as over and above and not replacing. Now we're going to um, loop back with all those different parts of the business shortly, but where I want to um, just take the discussion for now is I think in my research, I saw that you were opening approximately, you know, a store a year or so up until about 2016. And then in yep. 2018, the business really took off with a push into WA. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about what happened there? Yeah, sure. So look, we were growing at about a clinic a year and, and you know, for a small business, that's all we could really afford. Um, you know, a clinic's, you know, around 750 to $800,000 to open when you include machinery, et cetera. Sort of different to the original $200,000 store that we did. But, you know, we could really only afford roughly a clinic a year. But, you know, at that stage, the four founders all had different thoughts about where they wanted to grow. Some wanted to potentially exit the business. Some wanted to spend, you know, realize their wealth, et cetera. So in 2016, we brought on investment, private equity investment. That sort of helped set up our, um, structure for our business um, allowed us to grow a little bit more, but was only private wealth in Adelaide, wasn't major private equity. In 2018 or late 2017, finished in January 2018, we took on uh, major private equity. So a company called Advent Partners out of Melbourne uh, bought a, a majority share of our business. Um, we knew we had a great business model and we knew that we had the structure set up, albeit very small. At that stage, we had 12 clinics. Um, but we knew that if we had the right capital and right support, we could obviously roll that out quite a, a aggressively. So they took a majority share in our business in 2018 and sort of tasked us with going from 12 clinics in January with a, a three-year game plan to get to 60. That's sort of the number they wanted. Um, with that game plan, they put a couple of thoughts around um, in the business plan that they wanted Western Australia to be a key target. Now, Western Australia was a fairly untouched market due to some antiquated uh, laws in that state, which I can talk about a little bit later. And, um, and also to continue to pivot into being a primary cosmetic injectables business with the other complementary services, rather than being a laser hair removal business with those complementary services. So trying to continue to make a big focus on cosmetic inject. So that was sort of the game that we set a three-year game plan. And um, at the same time, I think our head office was six people. Um, and so we had to A, build our head office and B, roll out stores. Um, so 2018, 2019 were very big years. Uh, we grew from 12 clinics, I think, to listing day in December of 2020. 2020. We, um, 2021, yeah, 2020. We had um, 56 stores at listing. So I think uh, in June 30 this year, we finished at 61. So that's three and a half years. So we're pretty well around the, around the number. All right, let's go back to... WA. Mm -hmm. tell, me, tell me about why you couldn't move into there because of these laws. Yeah, WA was probably the defining moment that I would have say almost made our business or would have broken our business, I suppose. So WA was a, always an untouched state where with laser hair removal exploding through the rest of Australia, um, the use of medical grade lasers for beauticians and dermal technicians was allowed in every state with the exception of WA. So every state's governed by a, a council called the Radiological Council, and they sort of govern all different lasers, et cetera. And WA had a very antiquated law that basically said only medical practitioners, i.e. doctors, could use a medical-grade cosmetic laser for treatment. 
Now, that obviously made it impossible for our model because you're not going to get many doctors doing underarms and Brazilians, et cetera. So I had actually visited that market on a holiday um, in 20 – it's quite a funny story. I'd actually visited that market on a holiday in 2016 and I actually visited the Radiological Council and one of the guys there gave me his card and he said, oh, I'm the person that makes the rules, but, you know, we're not looking at changing any rules. Obviously, when Advent came in in 2018, we said we want you to open in WA. So we went to WA and we signed two leases and we signed them to open in August of 2018. And so it was March, April, and we didn't have a, a license to be able to use the lasers. So we were, obviously, we were looking at bringing in inferior technolo technology, which is called IPO, intense pulse light, not as good as a laser. I found this old business card in my drawer from 2016. I sent, gave it to my head of hair and skin, Claire. I said, Claire, can you just send this guy an email and um, just see, you know, say what we're doing and da, da, da. Six weeks later, he responded, but it wasn't him. It was another lady saying, oh, this guy no longer works here, um, but we would love to have a chat to you. Um, we actually would like to look at changing the law. So Claire and I jumped on a flight, flew over there and presented to this panel. We wrote this, uh, Claire wrote this wonderful document of laser and they actually said to us look we want to change the laws but we don't know where to begin because we know that it's antiquated we know that there's a black market of people flying in doing laser da, da, da. so would you be able to assist us in helping write a submission we said yeah fantastic so we went back and wrote the submission and submitted it and then we heard nothing and i remember we we're opening in august and um it was late june and it was uh the next day we had to place our order for the ipl devices and claire's sitting there we're like we haven't heard anything and i'm like you know call them. She's like, no, no, I don't want to call them. I'm like, call them. It was almost like, you you know, building the courage up to ask someone out. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, she's yeah. all right, stuff it, I'm calling them. So we called the radiological council and, you know, a secretary answered and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, that got through uh, two weeks ago. Apologies. Um, Michelle, who processes, has been on annual leave. And so then an hour later, the lady we've been talking to called us and said, yep, yep, congratulations, that's got through. So we have now, you know, framed on our wall here the letter that they've sent back saying congratulations. And so that was sort of the defining moment. We knew that was our window of opportunity. And so, you know, that day, you know, literally the next week, I flew back over there and went on a very aggressive lease signing period. And we rolled out um, 16 clinics in the last, you know, in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, not saying we didn't know if it was going to work or not, but, um, you know, WA has been extremely successful for us. Um, and, and, you know, that, that law change was the, the pivotal moment that really set our business up. Yeah, so you pretty much went from opening up a store a year to a store a month. Yeah, pretty in well. In a new state. Correct. That's exactly right. With no infrastructure and, um, and yeah, it, it, it definitely um, put the team under strain, but uh, they all knew um, the long-term goal. And, um, and now we're obviously reaping the rewards from that. And so now if we don't opening a a store or two a month, they're all sort of like, well, what are we doing? You know, so it's a bit yeah. of a change in mindset now. Now, fast forward a period of time and um, you take the company public with an IPO and Wilson's was heavily involved in the IPO process. In my research, I spoke with one of my colleagues, Shane Story, who's a, who's an analyst um, and, and focuses on your sector. And I discussed with him about this period and he mentioned a couple of things that I, I just want to touch on. And, and one, one is that, you know, you're in malls and shopping centres uh, with many other retailers, but the decision was made not to position Silk as a retailer. I think the line he mentioned was something like 
self-care is healthcare. The, the call was made to position Silk as a, as a healthcare business. And But what I want to discuss is something else Shane recalled, and that was that during this IPO process, you and your team were very keen to learn about other healthcare companies, Pacific Smiles, Integral Diagnostics, and the growing pains these businesses had. Martin, I just, I just want to call that out because it's one thing to be a successful founder of a business that can take a business from one store to say a handful, you know, three, four or five. That's impressive in itself. But you've gone from one, you could be in the vicinity of 100 stores or, or, or so from now. And you're analyzing peers in other industries. That, that's, that's pretty impressive. How did you find the process of taking Silk Public? Yeah, it was um, it was probably one of the most um, amazing experiences, exhausting experiences and humbling experiences all at once. You know, we just come out of lockdown um, where, you know, every business questioned whether they're going to survive or not. And then we came out of lockdown and had what would arguably be, arguably be the best trading period we've ever experienced. And during that same period, we decided as a board to, to list on the ASX. Now, we're still growing very, very aggressively. And, you know, when dealing with Wilson's um, around that, I suppose one of the things that was very difficult to is who do you comp Silk Laser against? Because really it's a sort of a unique industry. So the ones that sort of kept coming up were other healthcare slash services based business, Pacific Smiles being one, which was, you know, a dental roll up and expansion, you know, key people like the dentists, similar to our cosmetic injectors, service-based but still found in shopping centres. So we found that as probably being one of the most similar comps for our business, albeit still different. And really, you know, speaking with Shane and, and the team, we were continuing to learn, you know, being from a founder going from 6 to 12 to then 60, we're building our team around us, but then we're now throwing a whole new element, which is public life, i.e. interviews like this and interviews with institutions. And, you know, everyone sort of says it will, you know, life begins when you list and your role sort of changes again. So, you know, I've been trying to sort of learn about what other companies have gone through and how they've coped and handled and, and morphed. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've continued to learn is going from an operational CEO to sort of now almost like investor facing, but still operational is sort of where I'm pivoting from. And there's been a real interesting learning curve and really understanding about what sort of management team you need around you to help drive your vision. And that's obviously normal growing pains that every business has gone through, but making sure that your management team believe in your vision and your journey and make sure that they're on that journey with you. And so, you know, we have a very simple rule here in our office, um, which is you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. And uh, we live and breathe by that. And, um, you know, I think the thing why we've been so successful and, you know, I'm sure Pac Smiles and those guys can say the same is, you know, my management team are very focused and believe in what we're trying to achieve. And we all think we're part of something very special and have an opportunity to continue to deliver that. And whether that stays in Australia or goes even further is, uh, you know, probably the next goal for us as we continue to grow. There's a lot, a lot I want to speak to there, but if we just kind of go back to where we started the the chat, you got the scholarship to play golf in Florida and I believe you did a business degree over there. Yep. Do you think your golfing background helped prepare you for this this career path at all? 100%. I mean, I always reflect on the sport that I chose and, you know, if I think about golf, it's such a 
different sort of dedication compared to say football or soccer or, you know, team sports. So I don't really mean football, so more like a team sport. You know, it's a very solo business. You're out by yourself, rain or shine. You know, you're learning to work hard through that sort of methodology. And sort of when I finished with golf from a career perspective, I sort of continued to adopt that same philosophy. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why my team have believed and focused on me is because I sort of just lead by example and sort of they just follow what I do and that set the culture and the tone for that business. And, and that's why it continues to be successful. Um, but I always reflect on my golfing era and that set me up as a, a character and the person that I am today, definitely. Okay. You did touch on COVID and yes. um, what happened there during this period. And here's a bit of a timestamp currently uh, recording and, and it's mid-October. So we're getting reopenings at different parts of, of the country at the time of recording. Sydney's rolling out the reopening where, where I find myself in Victoria. We're certainly not there. Yep. What has COVID done for Silk Laser? Because I, I think I read somewhere that people still need to look good for Zoom meetings, which I, I found quite, which I found for quite fascinating. Can you provide us a bit of colour as to kind of? Yeah, look, yeah, definitely. COVID's been a really interesting one. Obviously, we all went through the normal major issues in you know March, April, May in 2020 when we went through the first, and it was all very fearful in those times, and everyone didn't know what was happening. Um, I think what we found when we came out of that COVID period is obviously there were rolling lockdowns sort of happening and people were pivoting and it sort of brought forward um, digital experience. So, you know, Zoom, uh, the way that people were communicating, you know, we IPO'd through not one face-to-face -face with businesses and institutions. It was all done via Zoom um, and that became the new norm. So what it found is it actually brought forward the path that we had sort of chosen, which was really focusing on cosmetic injectables. And, you know, people sort of ask, well, what was the pivot moment where injectables became that number one part of your business? And it was really sort of when COVID happened. When we came out of lockdown, there was a couple of combinations, you know. Obviously, there was people doing Zoom. And we released in our end of financial year results a, a survey that was done in Australia where, you know, something like 61% of people cared the way they looked on Zoom. And 48% of those people would then have a treatment to make themselves look better to have a Zoom treatment when having Zoom. So, you know, that was a part of it. Um, obviously, the, the penetration of our services were continuing to grow. And so what we found is COVID brought forward what we were seeing by probably 12 to 18 months. So we thought we'd get there anyway, but it's probably brought it forward. So the injectables part of our, part of our business, which is very related to COVID, I, we assume, um, has definitely been a big winner in our industry. I think the thing to think about with our industry is to our demographic, which are mainly female 18 to 55, but really sort of that late 20s to sort of late 30s, it's not really a discretionary income for them, discretionary spend. It's almost like yep. it's part of their all-day, everyday routine and it's something that they won't really sacrifice on. Uh, and so we've always sort of, found us to be a little bit recession-proof, uh, our industry. You know, the beauty industry is continuing to grow. And what we found is people coming out of COVID want to spend a little bit more on themselves to make themselves look and feel good. And um, and Silk was definitely a winner from that. Yeah, well, my next question was of the, of the five core products and services you have, um, laser hair removal, which was spoken about, skincare treatments, 
cosmetic injectables, which you've touched on, um, skincare products and, and body contouring. I, I was fascinated by, you know, which of the five, uh, say, pillars is growing in demand the most. But it seems like that third one, cosmetic injectables, is, is currently of, um, the growth of the business. Yeah, 100%. So pre-COVID, injectables was roughly 30 to 33% of our network cash sales. Post-COVID, it sort of grew. It's now running at about 41% and it's still growing at double-digit growth. Um, the body category is our other big growth factor, but it's really coming from a, almost a very low zero base. We introduced it last year, but we really see body to be the next laser hair removal, if that makes sense, because laser is sort of the lowest growth category in our industry now because it's been around for so long, but it's a commoditized product. So injectables is definitely the future for our business. And we see that for, for, for quite a while moving forward. That's that's quite interesting. That's the future. Because my next question was, you know, what's the next chapter of the story look like? What 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 is the plan for the future? Yeah, look, I think, look, I think, as you said, we've got the five pillars now. And so any new services and new offerings will probably fall under those five pillars. So, you know, there's five pillars, the laser hair removal, cosmetic injectables, which is, you know, that's pretty straightforward, explanatory. Body contouring. So how do you change from anywhere from the face down, um, which we've got a couple of pillars there. Then we've got skin treatments. So they're all sort of like your pigment removal, facial rejuvenation, all those type of things. That's an area we'll continue to focus on and grow. And then products, so skincare and all different skincare that complement those four pillars. So, you know, all of the things that we do make and make people look and feel good. So we'll continue to evolve that. So if I think about where our next steps are for, for Silk, we've just done a major acquisition. So Australian Skin Clinics, one of our large competitors, um, that took us from 61 to now at 118 clinics in all states in Australia plus New Zealand. So really for the next 12 months, to 18 months, our focus is really integrating those two companies. So ensuring we're taking a, a best in breed approach, best of what our Australian skin clinics do, best of what still doing, coming with a new focal point, aligning our, our, our treatment protocols and all of those things. So we're one company. After that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. So we'll continue to grow in Australia and New Zealand, but, you know, we definitely believe there's an opportunity for our model to work internationally as well. So, you know, whether or not that occurs or not, you know, we'll see over the next six to 12 months. We think there's an opportunity for our brand to continue to be a strong brand, both Australia-wise and, and internationally too. Well, yes, it's 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 certainly exciting. And, and Martin, thank you for joining us on the Invest at Best podcast and sharing your fascinating story. Thank you so much, Ted. I really appreciated it. Thank you. Okay, that's it for another episode of the Invest at Best podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you check out previous episodes and better yet, subscribe or follow to the show to ensure you receive all future episodes as they're released. My name is Ted Richards. And see you next time on the Invest at Best podcast. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.